Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, everyone. Welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer, joined by Jamil Damji for a very special episode today. Do you want to tell everyone who's coming on today, Jamil? It's my best friend. <laughs> my best buddy in the whole world, Pace Morby. Uh, I am thrilled to have him here. He's a real estate genius, and he's going to school us all in the world of creative finance. Your minds are going to be blown. Honestly, mine was. It was so cool. And and just so you know, I, we. Obviously, Pace has so much information, but we brought him on today because what he's really known for and what he's a specialist in is creative finance. And we're going to talk about two specific strategies, seller financing and sub two. And both of those, given the interest rate environment that we're in right now, are becoming, at least in my opinion, you'll hear all about this more and more attractive options mm -hmm. for everyday real estate investors because it gives you options to pay less in interest, basically. And so Absolutely. if you are running into 6% interest rates and you're worried about that and it's it's causing you to shy away from deals, you're definitely, definitely going to want to listen to this episode. All right, we, we ran way too long in talking to Pace because it was fun and uh, he has such great stories. So we'll keep this introduction short and let's welcome Pace Morby onto On The Market. Pace Morby, welcome to On The Market. Thank you so much for being here. My favorite show in real estate, brother. Thank you for having me. Both. Oh, you're just saying that. You say that to all the show. I don't. This show is unbelievable. <laughs> I've been waiting for Bigger Pockets to do something this epic. You guys are the best. Awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, I want to start because if, if our audience doesn't know, we are in the presence right now of one of the great bromances in real estate investing <laughs> right now, I think, right? I mean- 100%. Pace That's and Jamil, a if you don't know, are on a, a show on A&E called Triple Digit Flip. They work together. And I'm just curious. I don't even know the backstory. How did you guys meet and start running these businesses together? Oh, can I tell this story? Please do, Pace. Okay, so this is an interesting story, maybe to us, but I was a contractor for a long time. And I was working for Open Door, OfferPad, Zillow. I was their main contractor doing all their turns here in Phoenix, Arizona. So I would do their work, bill them, 
you know, send them an invoice. And I, that's how I was making money on their fix and flips. Well, um, Open Door changed their business model. They went from spending a lot of money on renovations to very little. They, they threw in an algorithm where they go, look, hey, Pace, we've got some news for you. And I go into the office. I have 180 employees at the time just dedicated only to Open Door. Okay. We were doing like a million a month in revenue with them. And um, they come in. I talk to a lady named Megan. And she goes, well, we've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is here's a bonus check for $100,000. Thanks for all the hard work. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and then the bad news is we're going to change our entire business model. So we're going to go from spending an average of $50,000 per house to spending closer to $3,000 per house. Whoa. You imagine having 180 employees dedicated to that business model, and then all of a sudden you need maybe one-tenth of them? Wow. So what I did is I deviated my business to focus on local fix and flippers. And I said, okay, I'm not going to let go of my guys. I love my guys. I love my business. I'm going to deviate my clientele to find local fix and flippers that are doing also turns and that kind of stuff, quick fix and flips. So I find a guy, I'm not proud of this, but I found a guy that essentially was running a Ponzi scheme and I got into him a million dollars. So Dave, I've always been really creative. So what, how I built my business as a, a, a construction contractor is I would go to guys like this gentleman, let's just say his name's John. Okay. It's not John, but let's just say it is John. And I'd go, Hey, I see you're fixing and flipping. I see public record. You're doing 20, 30 deals a year. How about I come in and be your contractor and I will fund, I will be a line of credit to you and I will fund your renovations and you can pay me at the end of your project when you sell the house. And it was the fastest way to grow a business because essentially all these people that are fixing and flipping, they're going, okay, well, I can get hard money to purchase the house, but how am I going to pay for the renovation? And so I essentially was their private money lender and their contractor, Okay blew up my business like crazy. I was so well known in town as the contractor to go to because of the creative way that I would go in and build my business. Well, this worked until it didn't. And <laughs> there was a guy that was buying really bad deals and he was borrowing money from friends, family. And finally he hears about me and he calls me up, starts courting me. Very long story short, four years later, I'm into this guy well over a million dollars in cash. And he comes to me and he goes, I'll get you all your money back, but you're, I, I know you've got these rentals, these sub two and seller finance and these private house you have. If you can sell all of those and get me the cash I need to wrap up these ne next 20 projects, I can get you flush. I just need to finish these next 20 projects. The problem, Dave, is I was so deep into this hole at this point. I couldn't see a way out except for I'm going to dig. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to dig myself out and like get a tunnel to go upwards, right? That's what I was thinking. So I go and sell 40 rentals. I sell my personal house just to save my bacon. And essentially in the midst of all of this, I go, I need a confidant. I need somebody that I can trust and I can get some advice from because, um, everybody's telling me I'm crazy. So, um, I was almost looking for somebody to justify my position, right? I was looking for whatever truth you seek, you will find it, right? Like whatever, if you go out and you want to believe your own lies, I wanted to believe the lie that this guy was ever going to pay me back. I wanted to believe it so desperately. So I was going around town, finding people that had done business with him, trying to find somebody that was like, no, the guy's credible. Well, I run into Jamil's name. 
Okay. And I'm like trying to find this guy, Jamil. People talked about Jamil. He was like a ghost in town. He was doing 10, 15. <laughs> Literally, this guy was a ghost. He was like a night owl. Nobody even knew where he was or anything. But people were doing deals with him, a lot of deals, like 15, 20 deals every single month. And so his name was on the lips of like some of the most prolific investors here in Phoenix. So his name would come up everywhere I'd go, restaurants, eating with people, um, going to Ria's. I'd hear people on YouTube podcasts talking about this guy, Jamil, this guy, Jamil, this don't, but don't talk about his name. I don't know what this guy, he was like Machiavelli. This is the craziest thing ever. Don't look him in the eyes, whatever you do. <laughs> Basically, it was just like that. And I go on Instagram, I find this guy with an, a username of at jdamji, and it has no profile, no photos, no posts, and his profile photo is an owl. <laughs> So mysterious. I Seriously, this is it. And I, I DM him and I go, hey, man, I'm in trouble with this guy named John. And I heard you've done a lot of deals with this guy. I'm kind of looking for somebody to help me through this with some advice. And Jamil takes two weeks to reply to me. This is before Jamil was on social media. This is years ago, right? Seven, roughly six, seven years ago. And Jamil goes, we need to meet for lunch. We need to have a conversation. So and this is a much longer story, but I'm going to wrap it up here in 30 seconds. Jamil sits me down and shows me through public record that this guy was running a Ponzi scheme. He was paying over retail value for houses with other wholesalers because what he was trying to do, this was his business model. He would tell all the wholesalers in town, go find me deals, bring them all to me, and I'll go dispo or sell those to you to end buyers. And the way to beat out all his competition from other people that were doing disposition is he would overpay for these houses. And eight out of 10 times, it would work. And the other 20% of the time, he would overpay and he couldn't sell the deal, but he didn't want to go back to that wholesaler and say, I'm going to bail on that deal and ruin that relationship. So what he would do is he would bring the house to me and go dig me out of this hole, fund the construction. Hopefully we can rehab ourselves out of this bad decision I made. So Jamil sits me down, shows me all through public record, Pace, this guy's leveraging 18% hard money. He's got second position and third position loans from friends and families. This guy is running a Ponzi scheme to like the highest level. Wow. And Dave, I still didn't believe Jamil. I sold my personal house. No. I, sold four, I sold 40 rentals and I got enough cash to give this guy. Right as I gave this guy the rest of my cash, I went through the six month thing of liquidating all my assets to dig myself out, I get a bankruptcy letter, hits me right on my doorstep. And the guy's file, he ends up filing bankruptcy on nearly $16 million of debt. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Bonkers. I'm sorry to hear that. That's, inc that's horrible. It was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me, to be honest. <laughs> okay. One of the reasons why is because I learned to never doubt a single thing that Jamil Damji has to say. <laughs> <laughs> It's, yeah, we all have to just, just whatever Jamil says, we have to follow from now on. <laughs> Basically. So this is what started a wonderful relationship. Jamil and I were actually competitors. We've always been competitors. We chase after the same cash deals here locally. Um, and we go into a meetup. Let's say there's a 200 person meetup here in Phoenix. Him and I are working the room with the same goal to get deals from people in that room. So I'll run up to people and I'll go, hey, you got a deal for me? 
And they go, oh, I already sold it to Jamil. I'm like, gosh, dang it. <laughs> so that's how our relationship started. We started hanging out with each other a lot. And we, we realized that we were like the yin, yin to each other's yang. And we started having so much fun that one day Jamil comes to me and he says, this is like three years into our relationship. He says, I think we should take this buddy comedy on the road. And I think what we do is we just fly around and we go to local RIAs and we talk to people about how collaborating with your competition is one of the greatest things you could ever do. So I'm almost done with this story. This is, this is, the, this is how we ended up getting a TV show too. So we go and we spend money and time and energy going to these RIAs and people would say stuff like, man, do you have a coaching product? And we're like, no, we're here to help you. We don't have a product. We're not coaches. We're just here to show you what collaboration's like. And people were dumbfounded and we created this amazing cult-like following of people who are like, wow, these guys are like genuinely here to just lay down the truth and, and teach us. We'd go on appointments with people. We would go door knocking. We would fly all over the country and do this with people. Well, one day, Jamil and I were like, let's take a two-week break. And at this time, I was just starting my YouTube channel. And I go, cool, I'm going to go film YouTube. You go home. You take a break. We've been on the road for like six, 60 days straight and uh, just helping people. So the day we get home, I get a text message from a guy named Ryan. And he says, Pace, I've got this deal. Cash deal, $165,000. I go, love it. I want it. Send it to me. I'll fix and flip that. Five minutes later, Dave, he goes, I'm sorry, the price is now $175,000. I'm like, what? Why? why? Why didn't you just send it to me at one hundred and seventy-five? dollars Why are we playing this game? And he says, well, because I have another guy bidding. bidding. He said he'd pay one seventy-five. dollars <laughs> I go, gosh, dang it. Okay, fine. I'll pay one seventy-six. dollars He comes back and he goes, okay, it's one eighty-five now. This other guy just keeps hiking, hiking it up. And so I go to Jamil. I text Jamil and I go, bro, Am I crazy to think that there's no way to make money on this deal? Will you comp this for me? Because some idiot is bidding me up on the other side of this wholesaler, and I'm about to pay 186 for this thing I was about to pay 165 for. And Jamil goes, I'm the other idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Did either of you buy it? So we bought it together. It was one of the okay, first deals good. we did together. And so I said, let's just buy the deal together. Let's stop bidding each other up. And so Dave, what we did is we went on Instagram and we told people, hey, we've never seen the house. We bought it sight unseen, you know, like you do in fixing, fixing and flipping a lot of times. And so we go, meet us at the property. We're going to do a walkthrough. And so we bring our YouTube crew and we bring, we ended up having like 40, 50 people go to this walkthrough just randomly within like two hours of us posting this Instagram story. And people show up. We filmed the YouTube video with all these people walking through the property with us. And Jamil's just being hilarious. Like he's picking up the sellers, the previous homeowners clothes and like putting them on and (laughs) using different voices and stuff. Well, dude, here, this is the craziest thing. Somebody sends this YouTube video to A&E. Whoa. And they go, there's nothing like these two on TV. They're, they're competitors, but they're collaborating and they're bringing the audience to the actual house. Like, think about that. All these videos people do about like, hey, look at my house. It's like, we, do, we started do, doing videos where we brought the audience as a live audience to our YouTube videos. And A&E just fell in love with the, with the strategy and what we loved. And so we got a TV show out of all of this stuff. So when people are like, I feel so bad that this guy, guy filed bankruptcy on you, I'm like, 
It was the beginning of the greatest path of my life. It's so funny how that works out, right? It's it seems to always be the like time you're in the depths of despair that some you know glimmer of hope or something changes that leads to that best thing. And I think that's a really good lesson for people just in investing in general and appreciate you sharing your losses. You know, Jamil did this on one of our previous episodes too, but you know, in this age of of social media, you see people just presenting these front where everything is so great and there's no losses and you're always winning and making millions. But, um, you know, there are hard times and it's, it's really cool to see how you turned what must've been really difficult. I'm sure it was really difficult at the time, you know, into something that has been so fruitful and enjoyable for both of you. Yeah. It's interesting looking at like the people who have a victim mentality versus how do I win in the situation? How do I, you know, What's that um, martial arts where you take the momentum being thrown at you and you throw it a different direction? That's jujitsu. Okay, cool. So it's like jujitsu. It's like, okay, whatever energy is being thrown at me, I'm going to use that momentum versus absorbing it and becoming the victim of that energy. And, you know, these are the things I've learned from Jamil is like how to use that energy properly. And it's the same thing in this market right now. I see a lot of people complaining about interest rates and this and all these other things. And I'm like, guys, Use these things to your advantage. You can either be a victim or you can dominate in this exact market. And, you know, Jamil's story about the 50, it was the 53 unit deal that you were talking about. Yeah. yeah. Great story. And when it was going, I was watching this happen to Jamil. I was like, I already know what you're going to do, man. You're going to use this as a learning lesson for hundreds of thousands of people to hear this story. And I think it's, I think that video is doing really, really well. Like people are loving it in the comments and stuff. Uh, was that just recently re- released? Yeah, it was just a re- just released podcast we did here on Bigger Pockets. So anyway, the, the market, it's, it's changed yeah. a lot. And I see a lot of people complaining about it. And I'm here, I, I'm over here thriving in this environment, excited about when these types of things happen, interest rate hikes, you know, economic turmoil, those types of things. And so you just got to use it to your advantage. That's all there is to it. You know, to, to add to that pace, the interesting thing is, you know, for me, I'm a single family guy. I'm a wholesaler. Like that's, that's my niche. Right. And I get it. I, I can wholesale and comp and do all these things in my sleep because it's, it's in my DNA, but I really want to get involved in other things. Like I, you know, Pace and I, we, we both have an extremely lucrative life and I'm here, you know, he watched me write a huge check to the IRS last year and, and then he showed me his $3,500 refund. And I know how much money he makes. And so I'm like dumbfounded, right? I'm like, bro, what are you doing? How are you mitigating your, your tax situation? Like, how are you accomplishing this? This is, this is, this is the hardest thing that, I, that is in my life right now is how do I keep the money I'm earning? And had I done, had I learned, had I, had I listened to Pace more, I would have been in this deal in a different structure. I would have been in this deal creatively and it would have saved my bacon. It would have saved the earnest money. The deal would have worked if I had put the deal together the way that he does. And I'm watching this guy travel around the country right still right now, buying deals in Texas, buying deals in North Carolina, buying deals everywhere across the country, using creative methods, minimizing his tax situation by depreciation, creating massive cash flow. While everybody is screaming about lending terms, he's creating his own. Well, that that's that is a perfect uh, segue, and and totally agree because you know we we uh, wanted to have you on here, Pace, because you've become known in the real estate investing community for being one of the most creative people when it comes to financing deals, and 
there is this challenge now, and I'm sure you'll teach us how to uh, make the best of it. But, you know, interest rates have nearly doubled over the last couple of months. And for people who are just approaching their real estate investing with conventional mortgages, that makes cash flow more difficult to find. It makes everything less affordable. And so I'd love for you to just help our audience understand what alternative options are out there and how you, like you said, are thriving in this type of environment. Okay, cool. So last year I did 40 Burr deals, okay? Single family Burr deals. And I don't talk a lot about Burr because it's not on brand for me. It confuses like what I'm talking about. But I love the Burr strategy. I did 40 last year. This year I'll do less than 20. I don't, yes. I don't know that you necessarily love it, Pace. <laughs> right, 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 okay. I t- I t- what it is is I... Just, I guess I feel like I'm on, I'm in a different lane. That's all there is to it. So mm-hmm. I'll do 20 deals this year that are burr and they're way compressed, way, way, way compressed. A lot of the deals we had in our pipeline back in January that we were planning on buying. And, you know, a lot of times the burr strategy will take three to nine months, you know, sometimes upwards of 12, depending on the size of the deal. We had to cancel a lot of deals or go back and renegotiate with the sellers and say, I can't do this on cash. We need to do this on terms instead. And some of those sellers were like, you're renegotiating. This is not good business practice. And I'd rather just cancel the contract with you. And some of those sellers were amenable to a seller finance situation, which was great. But here's the the thing. Last year doing 40 Burr deals, this year doing 20. You can see that somebody doing Burr, me actively, my business cut in half, okay? Um, However, last year I acquired about 100 rentals through seller finance. This year I will buy nine hundred doors with seller finance and subject to 900. So my business has more than nine X through this economic situation. And it's because I don't know if you guys have ever heard the analogy of fishing where people will think that you fishing, um, fishing works all day long. Like you could go out to a river or lake and you can fish all day long and you will catch fish no matter what time of day you will catch fish. However, there are certain conditions during the day where the kelp comes up off the floor and things are happening in the water based on the moon and all sorts of things that when your lure is in the water at those times, the fish are way more active and they're taking the same bait that they weren't taking two hours prior, okay? So that's very similar to creative finance. So the creative finance strategies that we're seeing dominate right now are seller finance, subject to novation agreements, arbitrage right now is crazy. Like Airbnb arbitrage is crazy right now. And then finally lease options. So the two that I love more than anything is subject to and seller finance. So I'll give you a really good example. I've got a deal in um, San Angelo, Texas, 43 unit multifamily, $0 down 4% interest. And the seller's giving me 50 year terms with no balloon. Whoa. Whoa. Right. Can you explain, can you just take, can you explain a little bit about why, like why, yes. what is the psychology of a seller that Thank motivates you. them to do that? Bro, this is, I can tell you, this is one of the biggest barriers to entering into creative finance is that you, rule number one of creative finance is never lose money. Okay. Always cash flow. That's rule number one. Rule number two is never put your brain in the seller's head. Because so many times we're like, why would they do this? And oftentimes the answer is because they have a lot more money than you do. They're way older than you. They're way more experienced than you are. And most people entering into real estate that are brand new that don't understand creative finance are like, 
why would somebody give up a property that I'm desperately trying to get my hands on? And why would they do it in a way that makes so much sense for me? So I'll give you this story. Gentleman's name is Mario. I actually was so excited about this guy because I, I, so I flew out to San Angelo and I spent a whole day with him recording and I got 19 reasons why he's, he did this deal this way. And I recorded the whole thing so that people can have it. And it's on YouTube. You guys can hear Mario with his own words. He moves to America. He's Romanian. He moves to America 35 years ago. The first deal he ever did was a subject to deal. Why? Because he couldn't get bank financing. He was a foreigner, right? He didn't have money. And so he's like, I want to get into real estate. What's the only way I can do that? Well, seller finance or subject to. So he does a subject to 35 years ago. And then he purchases an entire uh, real estate portfolio on nearly uh, $300 million of real estate over about 10 years, all using creative finance, because that was the only thing he knew, right? And what, I, what you learn through all of this is a lot of times um, people, what you focus on expands, right? And so people focus on Burr, they focus on cash deals, and that's what expands in their universe. Meanwhile, I say no to cash deals. People send me a deal in my Instagram, Pace, I got a great deal. Perfect. Send it to somebody else. Send it to Jamil. I don't want cash deals. I only want creative. And because of that, I'm overwhelmed. I, I turn down a hundred deals for every one that I buy. So why did Mario do this? Number one, he's 55 years old. He wants to truly retire. How does a seller sell a $3 million asset, not pay taxes and truly retire? Well, some people will say, well, he should 1031 it. He should roll his gains to the next deal. Okay, well, two things have to happen for that. One, he has to have another deal. And if he's trying to retire, does that sound like something he wants? No, he Not doesn't. Retiring. He wants to retire. Okay, so one, he doesn't want another deal to roll into. Two, he says, I don't have another deal. And so it makes sense for me if I take my money in um, interest payments from you, 4% interest, Maybe I die tomorrow. Maybe I die in 20 years. Maybe I die in 30 years. But either way, I don't need the money today. I just don't want to give it to the IRS. I want those payments to go to my children. Okay, so that's another reason. So the payments will bear interest. So one of the things I ask him in my interview, I go, so Mario, will you make more money on this real estate transaction than you would going through a cash deal? And he goes, oh my gosh, literally three times more money. I will make three times more money on this deal. And here's a couple of reasons why. One, no agents involved. Two, no appraisals are involved. Three, we're not going through months and months and months of inspections and all that kind of stuff. You get a deal under contract with seller finance on multifamily or anything, and I can close three days later. Go through a title company, takes almost no time. Okay, He can sell at the price that makes sense for him. So if you run this deal, this deal is only worth about $2.85 million. I bought it for $3 million. I overpaid on paper for this deal. But the difference is I didn't give him a down payment. I immediately inherit a multifamily property that's bringing in $30,000 a month after my payment to him because now he's been upgraded from landlord to lender. He's now the lender. He receives payments from me. After all my CapEx, after my property management, after everything, I net $11,000 net-net in my pocket every month on day one. That's And that's with quote unquote, overpaying for that property. That's overpaying for the property, right? And the landlord's going to make, well, the owner's going to make tremendously more money because even at 4% interest, he's, that's him. He's the bank now. 
So you he you you paid him more money from the property than he would have gotten now and now he's actually getting that. You guys ever look at an amortization schedule? It'll make you sick. It'll make you sick. If you go to Bigger Pockets has a bunch of amazing calculators. You guys should go look at those. But he so one if he so he did the calculation and when we were talking to him, it was a cold call. We just cold we cold call multifamily deals that are over thirty units and under one hundred and fifty units. That's where we get the deals from. So people have a lot of equity. We'll call them and say, "Hey, are you interested in selling?" Right. That's where this lead came from. So Mario does the calculation. He says, if I put this on the market, I can sell this for 2.85 million probably. And I'm going to have to go through a broker and they're going to have a broker and we're going to pay all these commissions and all these things. And it's going to take six months for me to get out of the deal. How about I just sell it for 2.85 million on seller finance and I put 4% interest on it. So by the time um, I sold it for cash, he he says, I would have walked away with about $2.4 million out of the 2.85. So $450,000 went in his pocket, at least on paper. And the great thing is he'll bear interest on that additional $450,000, not only the 2.4. So that, those are a couple of big reasons. The biggest reason I find with sellers on seller finance is they want to mitigate their tax liability, right? You only get paid on what you receive. I'm sorry, you only get taxed on what you receive, He's not going to get taxed on that full $2.85 million today. He'll get taxed only as he receives the money. And if he stretches that out over 50 years, he's going to have other um, write-offs next year that will actually mitigate the gain that he gets next year. He essentially can set up a zero taxable event on this deal by stretching this deal out. Okay. So those are like five of the the 19 reasons he gave. Um his biggest thing is like, I honestly, I just make a decision. I go with it. Um, the other thing is he now still has control of that asset. I own it, but he's my bank. So we set up a clause in the seller finance situation where if I default, it immediately re- reverts back to him. He keeps any payments I've made along the way. He keeps any improvements, any rent raises I have. So he's like, this is the safest investment I could ever make. Where where else am I going to put my $2.85 million right now? Stock market's crashing, crypto's crashing, everything's crashing. Where else am I going to put my money that's safe, secure, and I know the asset better than the person who bought it from me? Pace, what's the instrument that you're using called that reverts the property right back to the seller in case of a default? It's called a performance deed. It's something me and uh, an attorney created about six years ago where you get sellers that go, well, what if you default? And I go, that's a really great question. How do I create an instrument, a document that protects the seller and myself um, in the event that I default? Let's say I get abducted by aliens. I'm not around to make the payment anymore. I'm not around to manage the property anymore. How does that seller get it in a traditional sense is they go foreclose on you. Who wants to foreclose on you? Nobody. And so what you do is you have a clause in your deed uh, I'm sorry, in your uh, deed of trust, that's called a performance clause. And it says that on the 31st, 31st day of me being late, the property will revert back to them. And the way we do that is we have a deed in lieu document that is pre-signed, notarized, that the seller can go and file in the event that I'm, I default. That's super cool. I, I mean, it, you have to, at first, when you say 4%, it's kind of like uh, 4% is not a great interest rate, but you have to understand the seller's mentality, like you said, and the context of what else is available for someone who wants to retire. Like normally someone 
might take that money. They might sell it to you just for cash or whatever, put it in a savings account. Cause back in the day you could earn 5% on a savings account. Now it's what 0.5% or something like that. Or if you're approaching retirement, a lot of times a financial advisor will advise you to put money in bonds. Bonds now are yielding far less than 4%, for example. So, you know, it really depends on where you are in your career. If you're 22 years old and you're trying to get wealthy as quickly as possible, 4% probably doesn't sound that attractive to you. But if you're 55 years old and you're trying to retire and you can have, as Pay said, an extremely safe uh, a safe investment that yields you more than the other safe investments out there, like a savings account or a bond right now, then that is an incredibly attractive offer. And I'm curious, Pace, if this, these like market conditions that we're seeing right now are helping you generate leads. Like, are you seeing a bigger influx of people who are interested in this, given what else is going on in the economy? Um, yeah, the word I would use is overwhelming. Um, and and if you don't mind, I would I want to put a button on that four percent. If people understand amortization calculators, most of the interest you receive is in the first 10, 15 years. So effectively, that investor or that lender, right? Mario in this example, he's not making four percent for the first 10 years. And then if you do the research, what's the average amount of time that an investor will keep a property before they refinance and pull the cash out of the deal to roll into another deal? It's about seven to twelve years. Okay. So he's looking at this like, I'm going to give you a 50 year note, but you're going to get greedy to the point where this is going to go up in value. You're going to see a million dollars sitting on the table in equity, and you're going to go get a refinance at 5% with your bank. And I'm going to get paid all the way off. And I will have borne or bore 4% interest, which probably is more effective. Uh, it's probably more at like a 12 to 14% rate, considering that most of the payments I'm making are interest. It's like 85% interest. That's such a good point. Yeah, that's such a good point. That uh, And if anyone doesn't understand this, um, quick, as you said, you pay most of your interest in the few couple first couple of years. But I appreciate this because it allows me to shamelessly plug my book that's coming out yes, that explains please. all of this. Uh, it's called Real Estate by the Numbers. It's available for pre-order now on Bigger Pockets. But it talks all about amortization and how loans work. Um, and that's a really great point, Pace. Thank you for bringing that up, is that both as as a buyer, it's not great because you're paying more money to the bank for the first couple of years. And that's why if you only hold a rental property for the first couple of years, you actually don't do that well. And it's better to hold it for a long period of time. But if you're the seller, it's completely different. So if you're seller financing, you're making so much interest up front. And that I hadn't even thought about it. that's such a, an attractive option. Yeah, it really is. And if you really think about most investors' strategies is that I go buy even a bird deal, right? Like I do a bird strategy. I do I take over a deal sub two. I buy something on seller finance. It's going to appreciate, and you're going to have some loan pay down. So what ends up happening is you go, where can I get some tax free chunks of money? So you go refinance for at four years, eight years, twelve years. We currently have close to we're a little over a thousand doors right now in our portfolio. And I don't have a single loan in my portfolio that's older than seven years. Oh, wow. So it just goes to tell you that we're refinancing a lot. Like in in December, we refinanced seven properties. We pulled a million and a half dollars out. We took that million and a half dollars, rolled it into new deals. And so most sellers that are savvy in seller finance, especially the multifamily world, like most of those sellers are, they bought their deals on seller finance. That's how common this is. 
they are like, oh, of course, I'll give you a 30-year note or a 50-year note because I know you're not going to last 10 years. Pace, do you find that sellers in multifamily are more open to the, this seller financer subject to structure than in single family? Or, or do you think it's fairly even? It's not even remotely close to even. It is so dramatically different. Seller Sellers in the single family realm, they've only bought one, maybe two properties their whole life. And so they don't even remember what the word escrow means, let alone anything else, right? And so um, I'd say in the single family realm, the first 300 deals I got in single family I surpassed that. That took me years to get that. Um, in multifamily, I did that in a quarter, right? Because multifamily sellers, typically multifamily sellers used to be multifamily buyers and going out and getting a commercial loan in multifamily requires a net worth requirement and it requires liquidity. It is so challenging to go out and get a multifamily loan. And so most multifamily purchasers also used seller finance in order to get into the assets they hold today. It's very common. And so when you say terms to a single family seller, they go, wait, what? What are terms? <laughs> and so I tell the, the infamous F-150 story probably 50 times a week because it dumbs down what creative finance is to a single family op or homeowner. But when I talk to sellers on uh, storage units, like AJ Osborne, a lot of everybody knows AJ Osborne. I was helping one of his acquisition guys the other day talk to a storage unit operator and I brought up terms and the guy's like, oh yeah, I'm down for terms. You give me 20% down, I'll carry the rest of the deal all day long. And AJ Osborne's team is like, oh my gosh, it was that easy. I go, yeah, this guy probably bought that. So I take, I put the guy on mute. I go, he probably bought this on seller finance. I take him off mute and I go, by chance, did you buy this asset with seller finance? He goes, oh yeah, I buy all my stuff with seller finance. It is so overwhelmingly uh, common in the multifamily and commercial space because of the challenge of getting loans in that space. That's really, yeah, that's, I, I had never really thought about that, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's so much easier for you to talk uh, to people who have done this before. And for those of us, myself included, who really just buy smaller things, it feels like no one would want to do this and that it would be like a lot of education uh, for single family homes. But if you focus on multifamily, it sounds like there's maybe just less resistance and there's, there's, more comfort with it right off the bat? Yeah, I would say that 20% of what I've learned about creative finance has actually come from my sellers. And 100% of those sellers were multifamily sellers because these guys have owned, guys and gals, they've owned these assets for 20, 30, 40 years. They've taken the tax depreciation. They've done all the things. And now they're at a point where like, where else can I put my money that's safe? I, I can't, and I don't want to manage these anymore. This is what's great about multifamily too in seller finance is that most of the operators in multifamily are mon-pa operators, which means they don't have an operations manager. They don't have an asset manager. They don't even have property managers. Most of these people are going and physically knocking on the doors of their tenants and collecting rents on their 20-unit, 30-unit, 50-unit deals. So when you ask for a P&L, some of them are like, ha, how about I just show you my bank account? I'll show you my deposits. That is very, very common in the 30 to 150 unit range. And, the, and those sellers, because they don't have a P&L, they can't even, their, their buyer couldn't even get a loan. No. And there, it is so common. So here's what happens. 
a lot of them will go, okay, like I've got a seller named Mo in Corpus Christi. He's got $25 million in multifamily real estate. We just closed on 3 million of it. And I'm slated to buy the next 25 million over the next two years from this guy. Okay. He, I'm going to like own 1% of Corpus Christi in two years. It'll be great. So, so Mo, he started in life. Uh, a lot of these sellers start in life as business operators and they go, all right. So Mo owned convenience stores. He goes, okay, I'm making money as a convenience store operator. I need to put my money somewhere I can get tax benefits. So they go to strip malls. They go to what they know, right? He's in a, already in a commercial building. So he buys the strip mall that he was renting in. He then goes and buys multifamily, 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 gets to a point where he goes, okay, I got enough cash coming in. I really don't want to operate this. This has become a nightmare for me. So what do, who do they hire? They hire their wife or their kids. They're not going to masterminds. They're not learning how to scale their business. They're not doing what we're doing. These are old school people that have been doing this from like with pencil and, and paper. Excel, Microsoft Excel is advanced for them, legitimately. And so you go to them and say, hey, I can take over this asset. I'll pay you close to what you're currently making now. You just got to let me get into this deal with very little money down, low interest, and give me a good a runway that I can go and raise the rents and do something else with it. Mo could not even, like Mo goes, oh my gosh, you would take these off my, this was a big paradigm shift for me. Everybody says, why do sellers do this? It doesn't make sense. And then Mo, my seller currently is like, wait, you would take these, these off my hands and you would make a payment to me? Oh my gosh, this is like a dream come true. I've been sitting there dealing with tenants. I go, well, Mo, the problem is you didn't hire a property manager. He goes, yeah, I don't do well with people. I love my tenants, but I don't like employees. So they don't scale a business that is functional. And so you come in and you're essentially taking over their business. It is so, it's like taking candy from a baby because we know how to scale and operate businesses. Yeah, but you're, it's, you're not like stealing from them. You know, no, it's not I'm giving them more money baby. anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're just, there's just candy for everyone. You're just helping them. You know, you're giving them almost, it sounds like the same amount of capital um, that they need to live their lives. And you're just taking over the asset, which is, Pretty incredible. You think about that too, right? Like they, they're because of the amortization schedule, they're really getting that all of that income right off the right out the front. But guess what? They're doing it without having to work now. The th the thing with like a cash deal that I, you know, we've done a lot of wholesale, a lot of wholesale, a lot of fix and flip. We still are very active in that business. I just don't talk about it as much because it's not my passion. It's not where my heart lies. I love being ultra creative and figuring things out. And I could go on and tell you a whole bunch of stories about recent deals that we're working on if we have the time. But I look at a cash deal. And really, when I'm going and buying, let's say a house that the ARV is $300,000. I could sell it on the market after I renovate it for $300,000. In order to make a good amount of money, I got to buy that for like 160, 170, because I know I'm going to have to go put 50 grand into it. So a seller has to sell a property to me for 50 cents on the dollar in order for me to make money. And so they're getting something. Obviously, the house isn't worth 300 grand in the condition I'm buying it in. But I'm basically buying all that potential. And I have to really get my number as far down as possible for me to make as much money as possible. In creative finance, it is the only thing that I can make the seller win at a very high level, mitigate tax, have large amounts of money coming into them over time. And then on my side, I can pay them more, but it actually becomes easier for me to acquire that asset because of the way I enter that deal. Zero dollars down or I have not done a deal 
where I've put more than 7% down in, I don't know, probably six, seven years. That's, that's crazy. It's crazy. So like this deal with Mo, let, let, let me break this down really quickly. The deal with Mo, Corpus Christi, it's the 30 unit, buying it for $3 million, so $100,000 a unit. I go do, you know, we get it under contract, seller finance. He wants 10% down. I go, no, I'm not going to do 10% down, Mo. That's crazy. All my other sellers are giving me, you know, 5% down. He goes, okay, great. Well, I'll give you 5% down. So that's $150,000. For most people that are new to this business, that seems incredibly daunting. And it is. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I was brand new to this, I wouldn't, that money wouldn't come from me. I would just go to other people and go, hey, I've got a deal under contract. Who wants to be my financial partner? You bring the money. I bring the deal. We go 50-50. And now I'm 50% owner of a $3 million asset with no money out of my pocket, right? So 5% down um, with Mo, it's 3% interest, 50 years with him on, on the mortgage. So we go do the inspection and I go, man, in order for me to raise rents and take this asset over, I'm going to have to put hundred thousand dollars into this three million dollar deal. So I go to Mo and I go, hey Mo, I'm still okay with putting hundred and fifty thousand dollars down, but I want that hundred and fifty thousand dollars to actually go into the renovation. And Mo goes, mm-hmm. okay, I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to make sure that you're you're going to operate this properly. So my down payment is actually going into the renovation directly. Yeah, I mean that's why you call it seller or creative finance. It's an incredibly creative way to use your money to to mutually benefit both you and the seller. I'm curious for Mo, this deal or the deal you were talking about before, like, have you done the analysis or do you think they would pencil if you were just using rates? Like, you know, if you no. just went to a bank and go, just there's no way, right? They, they, they won't pencil unless you are okay with losing money for three years. No. That's not pencil. No. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe for some people. And I see some people, I see, I I saw a guy teaching, you know, um, creative finance. That's why my first rule of creative finance is never lose money, even on day one. Like it's never okay to buy a deal in the hopes that you're going to raise the rents at some point to make the deal work. It needs to work. Cash flow from day one. Day one. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, maybe within 60 days, because sometimes you got to improve it and get it filled up and whatever else, but in the definitely within the first 60 days. And so with, um, if I went down, for example, let's look at the Mario deal. If I went down and I went to get a loan for that multifamily deal, my lender is going to give me right now, a commercial loan is about 6%. It's double, it's double what I'm paying. It's, it's, or it's 50% higher than what I'm paying Mario. Then the lender is going to ask me to put about 30% down. That's $900,000. And this is why people have to go and do syndications and funds is because they're like, Hey guys, I got to go put 30% down on this deal. Let's go pull our money together and I'll give you the lender 70% of the deal. Guys, I didn't have to raise any money for that Mario deal. And I'm a hundred percent, the owner, no syndication, no fund because of the way that the terms allowed me to get into the deal. So do you think this is get? I mean, this sort of, we asked this before, but does this just giving you more deal flow? Because other people who aren't considering seller finance just can't make these deals work. So are you just finding that you can, you basically have a broader pool of deals to pull from because you have the ability to make deals work that people who aren't thinking this creatively can't make them work. Yeah. I'm, I'm like the guy in Santa's, um, shop that like I take all the broken toys that people screw up on and I make them better than what anybody else can. Like I'm in this little room by myself (laughs) and I'm just tinkering around and making things work. And people are like, how did you do that? My community is cash buyer wholesale. 
right? And so uh, a lot of the people we're talking to that's, you know, if we're working with agents, we, we, we tend to find if we can't make a deal work based off of a cash price because maybe the house is too nice and it doesn't need all these repairs or maybe the seller just doesn't want to come off their number, what will happen a lot is people from my community will connect with people from Pace's Sub 2 community and they will create an opportunity there where normally there wouldn't have been. So even people in wholesale take note that this strategy adds a tremendous amount of tools to your tool belt because now when you're say for instance you're cold calling and you're going direct to homeowners and they want a number that just doesn't make sense for you you can now monetize that because people are wholesaling these creative deals so my student body they're not all that interested in collecting property they're not super worried about depreciation or wanting to property manage or do the things that pace is trying to do but pace is in a different season of his life and he wants to collect and and have assets and so there's people that'll pay assignment fees for these opportunities. I just paid a $210,000 in ass- assignment fee on a massive seller finance deal that I just bought. $210,000. So people learn how to lock up the contract or at least get the seller interested. And then me or somebody on my team gets on the phone and actually works out all of the details. And then I'll pay somebody a massive assignment fee. That was 0% seller finance. So for me, it made a lot of sense for me to buy, you know, pay a big assignment fee. They asked for $500,000. i am like, no. But I ended up paying $210,000 to somebody for an assignment on a creative finance deal. So I think that was, was that an Astro student that you did that with? It was an Astro student, yeah. Yeah, because I, I heard about that. It was a big win that we had on one of our support calls. They're like, I just made $200,000 selling a deal to your best friend. You know, it's funny as I've, I've got a text message right now from Ryan LaRue. And if you remember at the very beginning of the show, Ryan is the guy that was between Jamil and I, that he was the guy pitting us against each other that ended up getting us a TV show. So Ryan's got a deal right now in Phoenix, 49 units. Seller wants full retail for the multifamily. The challenge is he was in contract with somebody else buying it. What do you think happened to that contract? Oh, they walked away from their earnest money. It had to tuck their tail between their legs because they couldn't get lending. That's exactly it. They're, they locked the deal up. They put hard earnest money down. They were going to buy the multifamily with 30% down, get their lender to come to the table. And the deal had, fell apart because interest rates came up. So Ryan watches me. He's not one of my students, but he watches me all the time. He goes, this is the greatest thing. He's like, I get one wholesaler that will bring me four or five deals a year that they're like, I don't know what to do with this, but the guy says he's open to terms. I go, great, let me get on the phone and I work out terms. So it's a 49 unit deal in um, Phoenix. Seller just wants his number. Here's the thing for you to understand if you're in the audience. Why do sellers like seller finance? They want to win at one thing. Okay, They want to win at their number. These guys are real mm-hmm. estate investors at the end of the day. They look at things on spreadsheets. People don't realize this. People, Wealthy people don't have billions of dollars sitting in their bank account. They have assets that they add up and they go, that's my net worth. So when a seller is willing to sell something to you on seller finance, their number one priority is selling it at top dollar so they can say, I won the game. Yeah, they want they want the that top line number. That's what they care about because they they're like, I bought it for X and I want it to double or I want to sell it for Y, and they're willing to negotiate with you 
to to make sure that that top line number is what they want it to be. I've re- I've got a really great single family deal. I'd love to show it to you guys if if we got the time. Here's a deal. So this is my document. You can see the seller um, who sold this house to me. By the way, I have their permission. They're great that we've done videos with them. We just closed um, on this deal. What was this? What was the date? July fifteenth. So roughly a month ago, I closed on this deal. Okay, single family property, but it has two houses on it, literally two, three bed, two bath houses on the same property. And look at the, look at what my monthly installments say. Principal only. This lead came from a failed wholesaler locking this up at too high of a price and then trying to sell it to a hedge fund. The hedge funds, because of interest rates, they slowed down their buying in a lot of ways, just stopped buying altogether. And so all these wholesalers are going around town canceling deals on sellers. And I come in and I'm just gobbling deals up. That was a zero down, 0% interest seller finance deal with a seller. The same exact day I bought a subject to deal, same exact situation. The seller um, refinanced last year. I get a lot of sellers that have refinanced in the last two, three years, pulled out their equity. And now they're in a situation where market softening days on market have gone from three days on market to 90 days on market type of thing. And now they're, they're like, I can't sell my house. I have very little equity. Now I, now I'm getting low ball offers. And so we're picking, coming in and picking up houses left and right on sub two, uh, because people are just saying, take over my house and give me 2000 bucks for moving expenses. And here's my house. We're just getting free houses with subject two right now. That's, uh, that, that's unbelievable. And a good segue, because I want to talk about subject two, and I'm going to do a terrible job explaining what it is. You'll do it better. But basically what it means, if correct me if I'm wrong here, is that rather than buying a house by taking out a loan in your own name, or even using, you know, something like a, a debt service coverage ratio loan. You're basically just taking over the existing owner's loan. And to me, one of the main reasons I was so excited to have you on here today is that something like 50% of homeowners right now have a mortgage under 4%, right? Yeah. Now. Wow. And so if you are trying to buy a home and 6% isn't working for you. This just seems like a no brainer for sub two because you could assume, you know, you have a 50, 50 chance that if you approach someone and they're interested, that that loan is going to be under 4%, which just seems incredibly attractive right now. Our average sub two interest rate on our, on all of our real estate owned sheet is 3.2%. That's crazy. That's so That's good. our average. That's our average. We have deals. We have VA loans that are like 2.6%. We have so many, like my personal, the personal house I live in right now, it's a, I bought this house for $3.3 million. Interest rate on it is 2.8% on a $3 million sub two deal. Unreal. And and if there's similarly to seller finance, are you seeing a lot of willingness and, and deal flow right now? Cause like um, one thing we've yeah. talked about in the show is like that there's this, there is this theory right now. Have you heard of like the lock-in effect mm-hmm. where people aren't going to sell because they don't want to sell um, and pick up a new, you know, a mortgage at 6% or whatever. Um, and I'm just curious if like sub two deals are slowing down for you because people know that they've got something valuable at 3% and they don't want to give it up. No, not at all. So here, here's an interesting thing. So I, d- I differentiate seller finance and sub two in this cat in this way. Sub two means the seller's typically going through a painful situation. Okay. Mm. 
no matter what the economy is doing, no matter what is going on, somebody's always going through a divorce. Somebody's always going to lose their job. Some, something's going to happen all the time, no matter what's going on. The best of markets, the worst of markets, you're not going to stop people from fighting with each other and getting divorced, right? These things So are, are you happening. saying sub two is great for like distress? Yep. So, so, okay. Sub two is, is pain, right? Distressful situation typically. And seller finance, so I call it pain and gain. Sub two, it's all about pain. Seller finance, it's all about gain. That seller wants that gain. They want that top line number. That's the most important thing to them. In sub two, people are saying, I can't sell my house. It's not selling. I need to get out of it. So expired listings, if you guys want to go get a sub two deal today, look at expired listings. Thousands and thousands. I could pull up right now online, public record. I could pull up thousands of expired listings just in the last 60 days in just Maricopa County alone. You could just, it, even easier than that, if you go, I mean, right now, I have a student who's been cold calling uh, real estate agents live, and anything that's sitting on the market, even over 90 days, this doesn't require you to go and do any research, guys. You can go right onto any of these platforms and look at days on market, 90 days or more, and you can call any of those real estate agents and ask them if they're sellers would be open to terms and they are really really you want to you want to do a deal oh my god yes let me help let me get my seller on the phone and let's see if we can put this together like it's literally that easy right now i've got a deal with an agent we just closed on last week it was her first sub two deal and she said i had this property listed for 60 days the homeowner had a job opportunity in new zealand he left thinking hey market's hot it's going to sell in like a couple of days I, he leaves left leaves the house vacant now he's got a mortgage payment he's paying so I come along, somebody on my team calls. It was a 60-day-old listing. We call the agent. We go, hey, what if we just take over the payments on that? Would this be, the seller be open? She goes, wait, that's not possible. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> and we go, well, if you talk to either our escrow officer or maybe our attorney, they can explain it to you that we do this all the time, um, a few times a week just here in Phoenix, Arizona. She's like, let me throw it by my um, seller. So she calls the seller and the seller goes, oh yeah, subject two? Yeah, I'll do that all day long. Seller knew what subject two was. And he's like, I just don't want to make the payment anymore. Take the house over. So it's a five bed, three bath house. We're turning it into an Airbnb. Um, and I took over payments. We paid the agent in that situation. So people always have that question. Well, if you're working a sub two deal where you're taking over payments and the seller is getting basically no money, um, how do you pay the agent? Do you pay the agent? Absolutely. Think about how most people buy houses. That's a $700,000 house we're taking over, by the way. A $700,000 house, if I'm a traditional buyer, how much money am I bringing in cash to the table to buy that deal? $150,000 to $200,000. Yeah, 20%. I come to the table by paying this lady twenty grand in commissions. I'm $120,000 less to get into that deal than anybody else. So you're making the agent whole, basically. You're paying that 2.83% commission or whatever. And I basically, the way I looked at it too, is I bought the greatest testimonial from an agent you could ever ask for. Because <laughs> she goes and she's doing a video with us this week. She's just like, this is crazy that this solved my problem as an agent. And my broker didn't teach this to me. Nobody taught this to me. Um, I thought that there's no way that this is possible and here you go. She's like, I get listings that people come to me and they go, I have no equity in this deal. Can you sell it? And the agent says, I can't help you. Right. Mm -hmm. So this helps agents. It helps brokers. It helps the sellers. It, it is absolutely amazing. So to going back to like what's going on in the market right now, um, what I love about the exit strategies are amplified as well, because now 
all these buyers are being told interest rates are at 6%. You're going to have to bring more money to the table, all this. If you're a buyer, my sister McLaren, here's a great example. My sister McLaren, she wants to move back to Phoenix, Arizona. She's like, pace everything 6%. I'm like, McLaren, just have your husband call on expired listings. So she calls um, an expired listings. Fourth phone call she gets a hold of is an agent who couldn't even sell their own house. Okay. She's moving into the house in two weeks, taking over payments, no money to the seller. Expired listings. How does it work? Can you just explain quickly how it works with no money to the seller? The seller just says, I don't have enough. I don't have any equity in the deal. So why, if I, oh, because they don't have any equity, so they don't even care. They wouldn't make money even if they did sell it right. outright. They'd actually have to come to the table with money if they were going to sell a traditional. Yeah, I've got a great, one of my favorite stories I ever had is, is um, a guy named Dave Bayarski. Um, listing was five and a half months old. The agent calls me up. She's, she goes, my listing is going to expire in two weeks. I don't know what to do. I didn't know this guy didn't have equity. He had just pulled out a cash out refi six months prior. He has no, no money. And every time we get an offer, I have to deliver bad news that he's going to have to cut a check for $40,000 to get rid of this house. And I go, okay, well, I can take over his payments. And she's like, would you? Would you? I go, yeah, sure. So Dave Bayarski, who's now still a friend of mine, I go in and I say, hey, I can take over the payments. And um, he goes, amazing. So you're telling me I don't have to write it. What it goes, your mindset needs to go from, wait, why am I not paying the seller to understanding that the seller is going to say, wait, I don't have to pay you anything. Dave was so skeptical. He was like, I'm, I, you're going to send me an invoice or something. You're going to send, there's, there's no way that he said, this is the seller says, this is too good to be true. So I'm, I am putting money in their pocket. I'm, I'm holding them back from having to deploy $40,000 to get rid of something they no longer want. Yeah. And this is why we have to remind ourselves, don't put your brain in the seller's head. That's so real though. Like guys, and I think a lot of people in the real estate investing space, the barrier to entry for them is always that. Mindset. It's, it's your, your mindset. You're not thinking the way that the other people are thinking. You have to step out of your shoes and you have to look at deals from the perspective of the of the different parties. Here's here's a good um, action step for people that are um, wanting to know how do I go get a sub two deal today? Okay, go find expired listings. Google expired listings if you have to. Um, there's a hundred websites that sell expired listings. Or if you're an, if you have an agent in your local market, just call your agent and go, hey, can you pull all expired listings from the MLS? Very very simple. And all you do is you call these people and you say, hey, I noticed your 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 listing expired. Was there something you were looking for on the market that you were not able to receive? That's the question. And you let them talk and they tell you, my agent this, they didn't do open houses. You're going to hear them complain about somebody who now is your con- the common enemy is what I call it. You now have rapport you're building. Oh man, that's, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, you know, me and me and my my team, we're buying properties. I'm wondering, would you be open to an offer of us making payments to you on that house instead of giving you a lump sum up front? It's very simple. That, that, that is it. You've got people that were just beat up by the market and they're like, they obviously wanted to sell. They're telling you on public record, they want to sell their property. They're also telling you on public record, they weren't able to. 
So you calling them, you're going to be their savior. This is not hard sales. This is not, Pace, how do I negotiate? Pace, how do I say the magical words? Guys, they want to sell their properties and they were not able to do so. This is incredible advice, Pace. Thank you. And unfortunately, we have to go. I could, you have incredible stories. I could listen to this all day. But we can't, I got to ask you before we get out of here, you know, you're obviously very in tune with what's happening in the market and the economy. What do you think is going to happen just on a large scale in the housing market over the next couple of months? You think we're going to see some declines or or how do you see things playing out over the next year or two? You know, it's interesting because uh, there's people on YouTube that are creating salacious material so that they can get clicks. It, it pisses me off. <laughs> it's really tough because like the only person I really watch is Dave, you, Dave, because you go through and it's based on numbers. You actually go through, you analyze software, you look at what's going on. Um, there's a couple of other people I really respect as well. Kenny McElroy, you guys have had him on your show. He's epic. Um, outside of that, everybody else is just on YouTube trying to get YouTube to pay them, you know, Google AdSense, whatever it is. And so I, here's what I look at. Interest rates change th- things dramatically. Ch- uh, Jamil says something to me the other day. He says, Pace, if I walk over to a thermostat and I turn that thermostat from 75 down to 68 degrees, wouldn't I be crazy to think that that room was not going to cool off? Like, well, yeah, of course, unless the air conditioning unit's broken. He's like, that's the thing. The market is going to cool off because of interest rates, okay? It's going to happen, and it has happened. It's slowed down our fix and flips. It slowed down a lot of things, but that's a great thing, it resettles the sellers because really where do deals come from? They come from sellers. The seller is the beginning of a a real estate transaction. So when you um, settle down what their expectations are, like I'm going to go sell the house on the market in 14 minutes, then that gives us an opportunity to jump in and and buy these types of deals. So I'm happy about it. I know that um, the Fed is meeting again on, I believe, September 20th or September 21st. They are 100% without a doubt raising rates again. Of course, yeah. Right? And so we saw what rates a rate hike did or a couple of rate hikes did to us this year. It doubled and tripled the, the days on the market. And I think that right now, because um, lenders, they basically hedged against that and they raised their rates a little bit higher than the Fed did. We've been actually seeing the lenders shrink down a little bit to accommodate that over exaggeration, essentially. So right now, I think for like a month and a half, I think activity is going to come back up a little bit. But on September 20th and 21st, we're going to see another rate hike. It's going to slow down. The end, the quarter, last quarter of this year, if you're in traditional real estate, strap in for a fun ride. But you're not going to be priced out of the market. Your your people are still going to be buying. It's just that you got to be reasonable on your your sales price. For us in the fix and flip game, forget about creative finance, forget about wholesale. In the fix and flip game, what all of us have done is we have all been aggressive for the last two or three years. We know the ARV is 300 grand and we still list the property for $350,000, right? Because we know the market was hot the last couple of years. So when we say, oh my gosh, we're going to, we got our listing only sold for $310,000. We had to take a $40,000 price haircut. It's like, 
No, you didn't, knucklehead. You sold it for 10 grand still over what it was worth. Yeah. People are always like, I'm losing money. It's like, no, you're not. You just made yes. all this money. You just made slightly less than your dream pie in the sky amount that you were going to ask for was going to make you. I th- I just think the rocket boosters are just slowing down. I still think that, that we've got a lot of growth. I think this is the greatest time to get into real estate personally, not just creative finance, but other stuff. I love the market. I'm ha- that's Somebody comes to me the other day, Dave, and they give me this alternative uh, real estate investment or not real estate investment, a different type of investment. And I go, dude, all day long, the only thing I will ever invest my money in is real estate. And <laughs> I'm not wasting my time and energy yeah. anywhere else. It's the safest, best, and this market, I'm excited about it. All right. I love it. And just to continue your your analogy there, it's like you turn it down from 75 to 68. 68 is still pretty warm. You know, it's like, it's yeah. not like it's, it's crashing. It's not like it's going to 32 degrees. And, and I, I completely agree with you. I think cooling is good. It's good for everyone. It's good for home buyers. It's good for home sellers. It's good for investors. Um, so I know there's a lot of headlines out there, people freaking out, but, um, take it from pace. Jamail, these guys are doing just dozens of deals every single week or every single month. And, and if they're they're investing, it should uh, it should give the rest of us who who aren't as active a lot of uh, confidence and perspective about how to take advantage in this market. Love it, Pace. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I know you have so many different social medias and things, but uh, if people want to learn more from you or or connect with you, where should they do that? Type go to YouTube and type in Bigger Pockets Pace Morby. Go watch my Bigger Pockets episode um, that I was interviewed last November. It it's very very popular episode. I, I I listened to it. It was extremely good. And he really you really get into like the details of like how to pull these these strategies off. So um de- definitely listen to that. And I should have asked you this off the air, but you're writing a book for bigger pockets? I, right? Yeah, we are. We're currently in the first round of editing right now. They're cleaning up all my foul language and and making it nice. <laughs> nice. We got two two shameless book plugs into this podcast episode, which uh is great. Jamil, we're gonna have to get you to write one next. I'm in the process. Oh really? Excellent. Yeah, oh, the Bigger Pockets first wholesaling book. Ooh, yeah. All right. Yes. Should start yes. a little book club here. We're all uh, Bigger Pockets yes. authors now. <laughs> all right. Well, Pace Jamil, thank you guys both for being here. We really appreciate it. Man, Jamil, that was awesome. Like, you get to listen to Pace talk every day, I guess. But man, All the he's time, got man. incredible stories. He's such a good storyteller. It is so fascinating to listen to him. And just one of the most unique approaches to real estate that I've ever heard. Honest to God. And really, guys, if you did not pick up a million dollars worth of game in this episode, listen again. Dude, I was just sitting here the whole time thinking like, how do I get a sub two deal? I got to start thinking That's about it. seller financing. It's it's inspiring, honestly. The best. He's the best. Love him. It's great. And I, I loved hearing the story of how you guys met. You know, <laughs> you guys are such a, a, a duo. I was envisioning you had this like meet cute one time where you were competing over a wholesale deal and your eyes locked and it was like, uh, it was like sight, but... hearts and all the things yeah yeah exactly yeah. the the uh, romantic music started playing in the background but uh... it, it, it's truly one of those friendships that's so easy for me you know like I, I i love traveling around the country with him i'm i'm godfather to his two daughters you know like wow. it's, this is a real friendship and it's a friendship of my life you know, and and uh, there's there's nobody in the world that I'd rather be doing this with, dude. I lo- I love hearing that because we talk obviously about economics and making money and all this stuff here, but 
it's, you know, you want to have fun with your life. You know, you yes. want real estate investing not to be stressful or to this thing that you're always worried about. You want us to have a good time. And I think you and Pace are such a good model of what a good business partnership friendship can be and something uh you know we or, all probably business aspire competition to. because we I know it's so crazy so much you know we're, we're really not partners we we really compete it's it's just like you know how do you you you, you love the guy you deck yeah yeah it is great <laughs> and i think it's a good lesson for people because there's you and and pace are such a good example of people who share so much information and you're not afraid of competition you know you're not no withholding information or talking about your failures or successes because you're worried someone's going to compete with you. Um, you know, you can obviously, you gain more, you learn more by engaging with your competition and just engaging with the community in general, just like being a part of the larger real estate investing community has so much to offer. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you all next time. On the Market is created by me, Dave Meyer and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media copywriting by Nate Weintraub, and a very special thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show on the market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. The housing market is changing, and finding your way right now can be a bit tricky. There are rate shifts, there are confusing headlines, but at the end of the day, your goal hasn't changed. You probably still want financial freedom as much as ever. Well, the good thing is that experienced investors know it's not about trying to time the market, it's about the amount of time you have in the market. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that. Or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.